This was a vision. I'm telling you, these people are Satanists. As I sit here, they are Satanists. Look, the world is full of these kind of things. Black masses, mutilations, mutilations. The incubus, the succubus. I'm telling you, we got to go down to the religious supply store. we got to get ourselves a couple of gallons of holy water. My cousin Jerry's a priest. He can get us a deal. Do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? Hey, once they get in here, it's over, pal. Trigger warning. This podcast may include explicit content that will take you out of your comfort zone and make you question reality. Listener's discretion is advised. She's back at it again! Occult Laurel Canyon Part 4! Hold on to your seats, everyone. I know you are chomping at the bit to get into this one. After recording the group discussion on the canyon, I knew it was time for me to bring the fire again. I'm turning up the heat one more time to expose the occult nature of the hippie movement and the counterculture scene of the Laurel Canyon. Now, the full version of this episode can be enjoyed on the Cosmic Peach Patreon, and it's never too late to check in to room 237 and make your reservation. So, click the link in the show notes for the full version of Occult Laurel Canyon Part 4. Let's fucking go! What is going on, everybody? So recently, I put out an episode where I went on a roundtable and kind of rehashed the Laurel Canyon and some more discoveries I've made since the original three episodes, Laurel Canyon 1, 2, and 3. And while I thought I pretty much had summed everything up in part 3, I was wrong because after the roundtable, it reinvigorated me to dive back into the Laurel Canyon and see if I can find anything else. And that is why we are here today. Damn it, it's Laurel Canyon Part 4. I hope you are excited. Today is going to be an absolutely fantastic episode. So where do we begin? I don't want to be repetitive, but there are a few things that will need to be repeated for the rest of today's episode to make sense. And I wanted to stop at a few locations within the canyon 
and dive further into the connections and the details of some infamous murders and actors and music artists from the Laurel Canyon. Our first stop is 8763 Wonderland Avenue, the site of the infamous Four on the Floor murders. Regarded by grizzled L.A. homicide detectives as the most bloody and brutal multiple murder in the city's very bloody history. Number fucking one. And if you get the chance, by the way, check out the movie Wonderland with Val Kilmer next time it pops up on Amazon Prime or Netflix. Because... It is, by Hollywood standards, a reasonably accurate retelling of that crime. And some say it's a pretty decent movie as well, but, you know, it is a black magic Hollywood movie for you. But, as it turns out, you see, the most bloody mass murder in L.A.'s history took place in, of course, one of the city's most serene, pastoral, and exclusive neighborhoods. That's right, the Laurel Canyon. And strangely enough, the case usually cited as the runner-up for the title of the bloodiest crime scene is the murders of Stephen Parent, Sharon Tate, Jay Sebring, Wojtek Frakowski and Abigail Folger at 10050 Cilio Drive in Benedict Canyon, just a couple miles to the west of Laurel Canyon. But, of course, it had deep ties to the Laurel Canyon scene. Let's revisit a little bit of information here. As previously mentioned, in past episodes, victims Folger and Furkowski lived in Laurel Canyon at 2774 Woodstock Road in a rented home right across the street from a favored gathering spot for Laurel Canyon royalty. Many of the regular visitors to Cass Elliott's home including a number of shady drug dealers, were also regular visitors to the Folger Frakowski home. So, the favored gathering spot for Laurel Canyon royalty was the home of Mama Cass Elliot. Frakowski's son, by the way, and I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before, was stabbed to death on June 6, 1999, 30 years after his father had met the same fate. Coincidence? I think not. Now, victim J.C. Brings acclaimed hair salon sat right at the mouth of Laurel Canyon, just below the Sunset Strip. And it was Sebring, alas, who was credited with sculpting Jim Morrison's famous mane. One of the investors in his Sebring International business venture was a Laurel Canyon luminary who I have mentioned at nauseum, Mr. John Phillips, also from the Mamas and the Papas. 
Now, Sharon Tate was also well-known in Laurel Canyon, where she was a frequent visitor to the homes of friends like John Phillips, Cass Elliott, and Abby Folger. And when she wasn't in Laurel Canyon, many of the Canyon regulars, both famous and infamous, made themselves at home in her place on Celio Drive. Canaanite Van Dyke Parks, for example, dropped by for a visit on the very day of the murders. And Denny Doherty, the other papa in the Mamas and the Papas, has claimed that he and John Phillips were invited to the Celio Drive home on the night of the murders. But, as luck would have it, they never made it over. Again, coincidence? Probably not. But here, get this. Similarly, a guy named Chuck Negron from Three Dog Night, a regular visitor to the Wonderland Death House, had set up a drug buy on the night of the four on the floor mass murder, but happened to fall asleep and never made it over. Hmm. It sounds like these people had been tipped off, right? So, on the night of the Tate murder, the Manson murder, Denny Doherty and John Phillips were supposed to drop by and get some drugs, but, oop, didn't manage to make it over and everybody got hacksawed. And then similarly, this dude from Three Dog Night was supposed to stop by and get his drugs on the night of the four on the floor mass murder, but he fell asleep on the couch. Yeah. Interesting. But along with the victims, the alleged killers also lived in or were very much a part of the Laurel Canyon scene. Someone else that I've mentioned quite a few times is Bobby Cupid Beausoleil from the Manson family, for example. And he lived in a Laurel Canyon apartment during the early months of 1969. Charles Tex Watson, who allegedly led the death squad responsible for the carnage at Celio Drive, lived for a time in a home on, guess where? fucking wonderland avenue right down the street from the four on the floor murders boom and during that time curiously enough watson co-owned and worked in a wig shop in beverly hills called crown wig creations it was located near the mouth of Benedict Canyon. Now, what's interesting about that? Well, meanwhile, one of Jay Sebring's primary claims to fame was his expertise in crafting men's hair pieces, which he did in his shop near the mouth of Laurel Canyon. So, a typical day in the late 1960s would find Watson crafting hair pieces for an upscale Hollywood clientele near Benedict Canyon and then returning home to Laurel Canyon, while Sebring crafted hair pieces for an upscale Hollywood clientele near Laurel Canyon and then returned home to Benedict Canyon. And then one crazy day, as we all know, one of them became a killer and the other his victim. But there's nothing odd about that, I suppose. 
I didn't really realize how serious the wig industry was, but damn, can be deadly. But so, Sebring's Benedict Canyon home at 9820 Easton Drive was a rather infamous Hollywood death house. Yeah, let me repeat that. Sebring's Benedict Canyon home at 9820 Easton Drive was a rather infamous Hollywood death house that had once belonged to someone named Jean Harlow and Paul Byrne. And this mismatched pair were wed on July 2nd, 1932, when Harlow, already a huge star on the silver screen, was just 21 years old. But two months later, on September 5th, Paul Byrne caught a bullet to the head in his wife's bedroom. Now, wife's bedroom... Did they have separate bedrooms? I don't know. This is just what the research is saying in his wife's bedroom. So I guess they were not sleeping in the same room. But anyways, he was found sprawled naked in a pool of his own blood. His corpse drenched with his wife's perfume. Upon discovering the body... Burns Butler promptly contacted MGM's head of security, Whitey Hendry. And I'm not bullshitting, his name is Whitey. So Whitey Hendry, in turn, contacted Louis B. Mayer and Irving Thalberg. All three men descended upon the Benedict Canyon home to, you know, tidy up a bit. And a couple hours later, they decided to contact the LAPD. I know this is an old episode, but do you all remember my Marilyn Monroe breakdown? This is eerily similar to those circumstances. Think about that. Okay, so they find Paul Byrne sprawled butt naked in his wife's bedroom from catching a bullet to the head, drenched in his wife's perfume. And the butler's first thought is not to call police, but the MGM head of security, Whitey Hendry, who contacts these other two assholes, Louis B. Mayer and Irving Thalberg. And then all three men show up at the home and tidy everything up and then Hours later, they decide to contact the LAPD. Marilyn Monroe much? Absolutely. Now, this scene would be repeated years later when Sebring's friends would rush to the home to clean up before officers investigated the Tate murders. Dun-dun-dun! So... Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. But that's not the only weird shit about this. So, Paul Burns' death was, needless to say, written off as a suicide, just like Marilyn Monroe. His newlywed wife, strangely enough, 
was never called as a witness at the inquest. Burns' other wife, which is to say his common-law wife, Dorothy Millett, reportedly boarded a Sacramento riverboat on September 6, 1932, the day after Paul's death, and she was next seen floating belly up in the Sacramento River. Her death, as would be expected, was also ruled a suicide. Damn! Less than five years later, Harlow herself dropped dead at the ripe old age of 26. At the time, authorities opted not to divulge the cause of death, though it was later claimed that a case of the bad kidneys had done her in. But, during her brief stay on this planet, Harlow actually had cycled through three turbulent marriages, and uh, I'm thinking she overplayed her hand this time. And though Burns was one of the most famous bodies to be hauled out of the Easton Drive house in a coroner's bag, it certainly wasn't the only one. So again, I'm talking about this is the house that Jay Sebring lived in. So another man had reportedly committed suicide there as well in some unspecified fashion. Yet another unfortunate soul drowned in the home's pool. And a maid was once found swinging from the end of a fucking rope. Her death, needless to say, was ruled a suicide as well. That's a lot of blood for one home to absorb. But the house's morbid history, though a turn-off to many prospective residents, was reportedly exactly what attracted J.C. Bring to the property. His murder would further darken the black cloud hanging over the home at 9820 Easton Drive. And as Laurel Canyon chronicler Michael Walker has noted, LA's two most notorious mass murders, one in August of 1969 and the other in July of 1981, both involving five victims, though at Wonderland, the four on the floor murders, one of the five miraculously survived. But let's go back for a second because. August of 1969. We get that eight connection one more time. And then, of course, the other one, not in August, but July of 1981. And these two murders provided rather morbid bookends for Laurel Canyon's glory days. Walker, though, the Laurel Canyon chronicler, like others who have chronicled that time and place, treats these brutal crimes as though they were just unfortunate coincidences. The reality, however, is that the nine bodies recovered from the Celio Drive and Wonderland Avenue constitute just the tip of a very large and very bloody iceberg. Here is today's trivia question. What do you think 
someone named Diane Linkletter, daughter of famed entertainer Art Linkletter, legendary comedian Lenny Bruce, screen idol Sal Minio, starlet Inger Stevenson, and silent film star Ramon Novaro have in common. I'll give you a second to think about that. Cue the music. If you answered that all were found dead in their homes, either in or at the mouth of Laurel Canyon, in the decade between 1966 and 1976, then award yourself five whopping points. If you added that all five were, in all likelihood, murdered in their Laurel Canyon homes, then add five additional bonus points. All right, everyone, the rest of this episode can be enjoyed on the Cosmic Peach Patreon, along with other bonus content. Now, what you're going to get over on Patreon is taking your Cosmic Peach experience to a whole new level. The subscription is called Room 237, and it is 7 bucks and 11 cents a month. That's right, 7-Eleven, y'all. Now, this subscription is an all-inclusive resort, if you will. There's no levels to this shit. If you subscribe, you get it all. Bonus content, extended versions of documentaries, and full versions of episodes, ad-free content, Julia rants, 10% off code for cosmic merch, holiday specials, messaging and conversations with yours truly, horror movie breakdowns and commentary, and whatever else I'm in the mood for. Posts, videos, maybe a playlist of cool songs to check out, cool movies and TV shows. It's just a little bit more personal. So there is only so much I can say on YouTube and Instagram or even on here without getting shadow banned or content getting straight up removed, fuckers. So in order to continue bringing you the cosmic fire, I would like to provide the option of an exclusive and more in-depth coverage of my research. I am humbled and grateful to be a part of your journey towards finding truth. Patreon just allows me to connect with you on a more personal level. So go on over to the Patreon. The link is in the show notes if you would like to subscribe. And thank you so much. I hope to see you over there. <laughs>